the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you for joining. Thanks so much for joining us on this Thursday. It's the third morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Appreciate you being a part of the conversation. Thanks again to Kurt Schlichter for a really illuminating chat on uh, the impeachment scandal, the intended coup d'etat, and the attempt to remove the President of the United States. We'll come back to that in a little while, but joining us now is our good friend in this fight of our our culture wars, or in our culture wars. Dr. Everett Piper is the best-selling author of Not a Daycare. He is a former university president at Oklahoma Wesleyan University. He's also a Washington Times columnist as well as a highly sought public speaker. Dr. Piper, we missed you last week as I was in Washington, D.C. It's good to have you back today. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure to chat with you. As I mentioned, we're uh, battling the culture wars together. It's one of the things that I, I really feel like you are so important in. And uh, we've got a few different parts of that to talk about today. We're going to talk about women. We're going to talk about children. And we're going to talk about um, the rights of uh, American citizens to speak as they wish. And I'll uh, explain all of those things as we go. I want to start with children, particularly unborn children. There was a story that uh, you floated my way, and I'm glad you did. I wanted to talk a little bit about it as, uh Hillary Clinton, uh, who was nearly the president of the United States, who has advocated for the abortion of uh, of pre-born babies as late as the third trimester. Uh, She uh, was a recipient of the uh, Margaret Sanger Award, Lifetime Achievement Award for Margaret Sanger, who, of course, was the eugenicist who uh, was the uh, mother, if you will, if I can use that word loosely, of the abortion movement uh, 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 by way of Planned Parenthood. Now Hillary Clinton is winning the Lifetime Achievement Award from NARAL as well and calls killing babies a human right. And as you noted, Dr. Piper, um, this is still the mindset 
of the Democrat Party. This is still the mindset of the American left. And just because Hillary Clinton isn't running for president this time, it doesn't mean a whole bunch of people who believe exactly what she did, she did, aren't. Um, what can you say about it? Well, Bob, I think the most important thing for us to remember during this election season is that if the American people vote for anyone who's on the Democratic ticket in the primary right now, we will be voting for somebody who's likely worse than Hillary Clinton for the dignity of life, for the dignity of women, for religious freedom, for the constitutional rights that we are promised in our republic. In other words, who would have ever thought that conservatives, traditionalists, those who honor the Constitution, those who believe that life is protected by God rather than contrived and manipulated by government, who ever would have thought that Hillary Clinton would be a better choice than every single candidate that's on the Democratic primary ticket right now? What separates them, Dr. Piper? What separates them? Because I see them all as being identical. If Hillary was in this cesspool of Democrat candidates this time around, I would feel the same way. Well, that's fair. That's fair. And in no way am I suggesting that somehow Hillary, if she were to run, is somehow taking a different stance now than any of the other candidates. But the point is, prior to this election season, the Hillary Clinton that we knew in previous election seasons was more moderate on these issues than even the current candidates are. And here's what I'm saying. This woman, Hillary Clinton, is deplorable, um, to use that word intentionally. She deplores the dignity of human life. She deplores the, the First Amendment that grants us religious liberty. She deplores the constitutional absolutes that exist within our free republic. She deplores those things. And every other candidate that's on the ticket right now matches her, in fact, tries to outdo her when it comes to the protection of human life and when it comes to the protection of religious freedom. In other words, we need to go vote as if our life depends on it because millions of lives do depend on it because Hillary Clinton would take those lives if she were a candidate today and every other candidate in the Democratic Party right now is just doubling down. That's my point. They're doubling down very... on Hillary Clinton. <clears throat> That is very well said. Let me ask you this, uh, Dr. Piper, in the 2020 presidential election, how big or how high on the uh, agenda list do you think abortion rights will be? Uh, for a hot minute there in the last 12 months, you know, once we had New York declaring it's okay to kill a baby up until the moment of birth, and then Ralph Northam, the governor of Virginia, says, oh, yeah, watch this. And he says we should be able to let babies die after they're born. We shouldn't have to give them care. It'll be up to the mother if she wants the, the baby to be given care so we can kill them after they're, they're born. Uh, for a while, their abortion was very much front and center. Do you think it will be a big issue or just uh, an ancillary issue in the actual 2020 election? In some ways, I believe it'll be up to the Trump campaign, because if they lead on this issue, they will remind people like me, who uh, people like me who were against Donald Trump during the last Republican primary. I did not believe Donald Trump was pro-life. I looked at his previous uh, writing. I looked at his previous commentary on television and radio, and I believed Donald Trump was manipulating the populace for a political gain during the Republican primaries. I was wrong. I was wrong. Donald Trump is legitimately pro-life. Every single position that he's taken 
has been exceptionally pro-life, even more so than some of the other more popular Republican presidents that have preceded him. Donald Trump proved me wrong, and he proved lots of other skeptics wrong when it came to the pro-life issue. If he reminds us that he has defended the dignity of the human being, that he has defended the lives of every single uh, boy and girl, whether born or pre-born, which he reminds us that without his leadership in this issue, millions of lives are lost, then I think it can be a front and center issue. If the Republican Party ignores that and tries to go more moderate, then I think that's a foolish mistake, and I think votes will be lost at likewise lives. Uh, let's pivot a little bit, Dr. Piper. Very well said, by the way. Let's pivot. And I was with you. I also thought Donald Trump was uh, kind of playing the public. Uh, I didn't think that he was uh, sufficiently pro-life either because of his previous statements about being really uh, the way we just described, uh, being pro-choice all the way up to the moment of birth. It's got to be a mother's decision, he used to say. So I have been very impressed and surprised that he has been true to his word, that he is indeed pro-life now. But let's pivot now to women's rights and where they intersect with public decency and i'm going to your home state now dateline tulsa oklahoma it is now legal for women to go topless in public in the state of oklahoma and in five other states as well what is driving this and what possible good is going to come from this well no good will come from it it degrades women there's no dignity there's no modesty there's uh, women lose once again at the hands of a misogynistic uh, unleashed, untethered male libido. The Tenth Circuit Court has ruled with regard to a case that was being brought before it from Colorado that uh, women can go topless in public because of egalitarianism, that women and men are equal. There's no distinction between the two. There's no biological distinction between the two. And therefore, if men can go in public without a shirt, so can women. Because the Tenth Circuit has ruled, they are now imposing that ruling upon all the states within the Tenth Circuit, Oklahoma being one of them. In spite of the fact that there was no case being brought before it from Oklahoma begging this issue or petitioning this issue. So it's judicial fiat top-down to all the states within the Tenth Circuit that we now must allow women to go topless in public. People are probably listening to me right now and saying, no, you must be misunderstanding this. That can't be true. Well, it is true. Just in Tulsa last week, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Bible Belt, Tulsa, Oklahoma, there was a rally in a public park where women went topless celebrating this decision. The police in Tulsa did nothing about it. The Republican mayor of Tulsa, G.T. Bynum, did nothing about it. They have just acquiesced, and they've accepted the terrible tasting medicine from the Tenth Circuit that this must be the way we now live in Oklahoma. My point is why in the world would a Republican governor and a Republican uh, mayor, Mayor of Tulsa, G.T. Bynum, and Kevin Stitt, mayor, uh, or excuse me, governor of Oklahoma, why would we accept this ruling top-down? Why don't we do what the left has done? Gavin Newsom in the state of California, for example, when he was mayor of San Francisco, he just thumbed his nose at the rulings he didn't like, and he said, no, we won't comply. Sanctuary cities across the, the uh, and sanctuary states across the nation right now are basically thumbing their nose at the federal government and saying, no, we won't comply. Those states that are ruling uh, in favor of marijuana legalization right now are thumbing their nose at federal law and saying, no, we won't comply. When will conservatives learn that we do not have to accept these top-down edicts and that we can say, under the under the uh, constitutional freedoms of federalism and states' rights, no, we won't comply? 
let somebody sue us, and then we'll sue, we'll sue contrary all the way to the Supreme Court and let the Supreme Court make a ruling on that. And even if the Supreme Court rules against us, why don't we fight for this in federal legislation for the rights that we should enjoy? The Republicans and the conservatives are laying down and doing nothing, absolutely nothing, in the face of this lunacy. And I would argue that that is exactly the opposite of what we should do. We should learn a lesson from the left. We should stand up and just say no. What I want to know is, when does this take the next step? Because it always does. When does it take the next step to full-on public nudity? How dare you judge me for wanting to be seen in the nude? And how dare you take a picture of me if I am, by the way? That's harassment, uh, but but allow me to walk around nude. I mean, if we're going to go topless, when is bottomless coming? I cannot imagine that it won't. People say, well, that'll never never happen. Really? Uh, When would you have thought two years ago, one year ago, that Oklahoma, the reddest of red states that did not have one county, not one single county go blue in the last two presidential elections, would be acquiescing to topless topless public uh, exposure? Any sidewalk in Tulsa or Bartlesville or any small town in Oklahoma, a woman can go topless right now. Now, how does this enhance the dignity of the woman? This does not. This degrades her. There's no modesty. There's no decency. It abuses women. It doesn't elevate women. This is not pro-woman. This is misogyny. And, oh, by the way, by the way, you can take a picture of that woman, and you can post it publicly. That is legal now, unless you unknowingly took a picture of somebody that was under 18, and if the person was under 18 that you took the picture of, you can now be prosecuted for child pornography. Even if you have no idea whether this person is 18 or 17 or 16 or 19, which, you know, can sometimes be very difficult Correct. to tell. It's, it's, it's simply on the, and the idea that this will not lead to an increase in sexual assaults, uh, as a trigger for some men, uh, is, is ludicrous. It is just simply beyond comprehension. Dr. Piper, we're going to get a timeout now because I got a couple of other stories about our freedoms that are being attacked by the LGBTQ community by way of the trans community. Uh, I'll give you the, the, uh, opportunity to respond to those coming right up on AM 1420, The Answer. It's the Bob France Authority here on AM 1420, The Answer. O.com. All right, 1024 now. i got a few good minutes left here with our friend Dr. Everett Piper, <clears throat> columnist with the Washington Times, public speaker, pundit, former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. I want to pivot now to Richmond, Virginia, Dr. Piper, a teacher back in December of last year, you may recall, uh, and some folks may as well. His name is Peter Vlaming, Virginia teacher, who was fired by the school district there, taught French at West Point High School for nearly seven years, fired for refusing to refer to a student by different pronouns than what their biological gender uh, dictated that they were. In other words, it was a female who wanted to be male and pretended to be male, and this teacher refused to call this uh, person a he or a, a him. And, in fact, did acquiesce uh, when when ordered to do so by saying, okay, I won't use any pronouns, I won't keep calling her a she, even though that's what she is, I'll just use her name. That wasn't good enough. He was compelled to either say the pronouns or be fired. He was fired. This week, Dr. Piper, he filed a lawsuit against the school. Um, I'm not a lawyer, uh, and, and I don't know. You have a lot of background. I don't know if law is one of them or not, but I hope that they're soon going to be commissioning Vlaming High School in Richmond, Virginia. 
the Alliance Defending Freedom is actually representing this teacher in his lawsuit against the school district. And that's, I would argue, or I would, yes, I would argue that this will probably go all the way to the Supreme Court because this is such a critical issue in our culture today. Should you be forced to use a given language? Should you be subject to losing your job and losing your rights and losing your financial wherewithal simply because you refuse to lie? And that's the defense that this man is using. He's saying, my religion as a Christian prohibits me from lying. Therefore, the school system nor anyone else should be able to force me to lie about another human being. This person is a woman. She's a female. You cannot force me to lie about that and call her something else. So it's an issue of religious freedom. It's an issue of science. It's an issue of biology. It's an issue of being an empiricist, believing in the empirical reality versus the contrived subjective nature of post-modernity. That's what we're talking about right now. And if this person is forced to lie about another person's identity, then we all should take notice because all of our rights are compromised. For example, and don't say, people don't say that'll never happen. I'm going to give you an explicit example of what's also taking place in the public square right now. There's a movement called transablement, not transgenderism, but transablement, where people think they're disabled and they therefore want to be treated as disabled individuals even though they're not. They claim to be blind. They're not blind. They claim to be amputees. They're not amputees. Should you be forced in the public square to identify them as an amputee when it's clear they have all of their limbs? Should you be forced to treat them as if they're blind when it's clear they can see? Should you be forced to lie about that identity because they're delusional? There's no distinction and no difference legally in that area of identity, subjective identity claims, when it comes to those things versus the subjective sexual identity claims. You are either a male or a female. That's a biological fact. You're either disabled or you're not. That's a biological, physiological fact. You can either see or you can't see. It is indisputable. These are facts. And you should not be forced to lie about those things in the public square. That's what's in play. That's exactly what it uh, what they're forcing them to do. And uh, he was fired for it, and again, he has filed a lawsuit. I hope he ends up owning that school by the time this is all said and done. Uh, and then the last thing, we're taking this to the next level, which is what I brought up with the last story we talked about. It always goes to another level. Uh, a new study by the Australian Psychological Society has decided uh, in a new uh, uh, unpublished submission that is going to be published that children under the age of 16 should be allowed to undergo irreversible surgery if they feel like they are the opposite sex without their parents' permission or without counseling. Not only without mandatory counseling, but even voluntary counseling. The Australian Psychological Society represents 24,000 professionals saying they disapprove, or excuse me, saying that the disapproval of both parents should not inhibit a child under 16 from consenting to life and body-altering procedures. Dr. Piper, you say what? I know I have to be quick. This is a blurring of distinctions across culture, the blurring of the male and the female, and the blurring of the child and the adult. We see children now being elevated to the status of adults when it comes to public commentary and even moral clarity. 
children have not yet achieved the ability to choose their gender. I would argue not, adults don't either, but surely a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old has not achieved the intellectual and the psychological and the spiritual or physical maturity to make those types of decisions. But yet the state is taking the rights of the parents away and giving those rights to children. Children should not be governing. Children should not be leading. Children should not be making these decisions. That's what parenting is for, is to protect your children from poor choices. You tell them not to go on the road because it could hurt them. You tell them not to touch that burner because it could burn them. You tell them not to do certain things and you discipline them for their own good because they have to mature and they have to learn how to function in the real world. And this right and responsibility of parenting is being taken away by oligarchs, elitists, who claim to be smarter than thou, and they're telling parents, you can't make that choice. Your 10-year-old can make that choice. That's just pure asinine and ridiculous. I think that is very well said, and I'm going to leave it there. When somebody says something perfectly, you don't try to outdo it. Uh, Dr. Everett Piper, thank you so much, my friend. Great conversation. Keep the battle. Keep fighting, and we'll talk to you again next week. Blessings. Thank you, Dr. Dr. Piper, joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. We're guest-free the rest of the way, so now is your time. Dial 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110 on the Bob France Authority. Ten thirty-six. We move onward. The Bob France Authority. Good for another twenty-four minutes of outstanding, awesome for you. Hey, a reminder: I did get the updated ticket totals, and uh, they're going fast. That's all I can tell you. Do not dilly dally. Do not dawdle. Do not do not do not do anything else that basically means move slowly. Move quickly and get your tickets for the War for America Soul Tour coming up on November twenty-first with Hugh Hewitt in town. Dr. Sebastian Gorka in town and on stage, along with Peter Kersenow and yours truly. We will be at the uh, Holiday and Rockside in Independence, and uh, it will be a tremendous event. There are around 50 general admission tickets remaining and 50 VIP, VIP dinner tickets remaining. That's it. All of the other GA and VIP and uh, host table t- uh, tickets have sold out a long time ago. So you've got uh, limited opportunities. If you think, yeah, I'll just wait until November, you will be left out. Uh, do not wait. Go to whradio.com right now and get your tickets, especially the VIP tickets. We want to have dinner with you. Uh, seriously, it's a great time in there, that pre-show, pre-stage event, the uh, opportunity we have to mingle with uh, concerned viewer, or listeners, rather, uh, activists, uh, uh, citizens and patriots who are all looking to mobilize with one another to save this republic. Um, it, it's a great thing. It really is. Uh, and I know the other hosts enjoy it as well. So please be there in the VIP room with us. Get your tickets now at whkradio.com, whkradio.com. All right, um, I want to share a couple of other things with you real quick. We, we've talked about we've talked about the uh, impeachment attempt of the President of the United States or on the presidency of the United States as being something that's been in the in the works for a very long time. Uh, it has, obviously. Uh, if you're looking for an example of that too, by the way, kudos to uh, Britt Hume, who tweeted this uh, just about five minutes ago. It's a Washington Post article. Headline, you ready for this? The campaign to impeach President Trump has begun. That's the headline. That wasn't from this week. 
That was posted minutes after his inauguration, January 20, 2017. Now I want you to ponder that for a moment. He had just been sworn in. And within minutes, the Washington Post ran an article headlined, The Campaign to Impeach President Trump Has Begun. So tell me again how this movement to impeach him now is solely because of a phone call with Ukraine. Which, by the way, was 100% legal and within the president's powers and purview. Tell me again how this impeachment is about the law and not about politics. His political opponents sought to remove him from office the moment he was sworn in. And now I'm going to take you back a little further, as I have done in the past, but I want to give you a little bit of uh, knowledge here from the American thinker. We know now what Peter Strzok meant with his insurance policy text to Lisa Page. I've been talking about this for weeks and weeks and weeks, really longer than that, but it's just more pertinent right now. This article is from October, not of this year, where we are now, but of last year. And it was just, and this is the this is the kind of a, a way to underscore how how much our country is suffering because we're fighting the same battles now that we were a year ago and two years ago and three years ago that they've been trying to remove Donald Trump. Turns out that John Podesta didn't just pull the Russia hoax out of thin air right after the election. It was a key part of the contingency plan that was already in place. This is American Thinker, October 12, 2018. When Podesta spoke, he was in effect saying, "All right, it's time to implement the contingency plan." with some modification because Hillary lost. Finally, we now know what Peter Strzok meant when he texted his paramour Lisa Page on August 16, 2016, about an insurance policy in case Trump got elected. I want to, to believe the path you threw, the text read, the path you threw out for consideration in Andy McCabe's office, that there's no way he gets elected. But I'm afraid we can't take that risk. It's like an insurance policy in the unlikely event you die before you're 40. Strzok testified under oath that this text was an emotional reaction to a Trump outrage. Strzok told uh, Chairman Trey Gowdy at the time, it was important to look at the text in their full context, given what was happening in the country at the time. Quote, in terms of that text, you need to understand that this was written late at night, off the cuff, and it was in response to a series of events that included then-candidate Trump insulting the immigrant family of a fallen war hero, Strzok said. He was referring to Trump's mockery of the Gold Star family of U.S. Army Captain uh, Humayun Khan, who was killed in the Iraq War. The same day, in a separate exchange, quote, Trump is never going to become president, right? Right? End quote. Page, who also worked on Mueller's staff, responded, No, no, he won't. We'll stop it. Struck test texted back. But now we discover even more. Obama had secret plans to validate a Clinton victory if Trump didn't accept her victory. Quote, Former President Barack Obama had a plan to validate the 2016 election in the event then-candidate Donald Trump lost the election and challenged the results. Obama administration officials told New York Magazine that a bipartisan plan was in place just in time for the election to certify the results and reveal the intelligence community's claims that Russian interference supported Trump's candidacy. In other words, struck still... And a year later, after all of that, and that testimony has some explaining to do. If he lied under oath about this insurance plan, 
he can be pressured to reveal the conspiracy and the conspirators. If this was a bipartisan plan, it was hatched by senior staff in the Obama White House, according to the Federalist. The Obama White House plan, according to interviews with Rhodes and Jen Psaki, Obama's communications director at the time, called for congressional Republicans, former presidents, and former cabinet-level officials, including Colin Powell and Condoleezza Rice, to try and forestall a political crisis by validating the election result in the event that Trump tried to dispute a Clinton victory. They would affirm the result as well as the conclusions reached by the U.S. intelligence community that Russian interference in the election sought to favor Trump and not Clinton. Some Republicans were already were, uh, already aware of this i.e. had been briefed into the contingency, uh, contingency plan. Russian interference from intelligence briefings given to leaders from both parties during the chaotic months before the election. We wanted to handle the Russia information in a way that was as bipartisan as possible, Rhodes said. Yeah, you always want that when you steal an election. So when Donald Trump said, and I played this clip for you before, they have been trying to impeach me since the moment I was elected, he's technically wrong. They have been trying to impeach him since before he was elected. They were absolutely rock-solid confident of Hillary Clinton winning, and they were preparing with her victory to make sure that if Donald Trump didn't give a concession speech, they would validate the election without his concession. So they were all in on this conspiracy against Donald Trump since before the election ever took place. What they did not consider was, was that if he won, it would be the Democrats who would refuse to concede. It was the Democrats who have refused to acknowledge his victory, even three years later. And now they're still trying to remove him from power with this contingency plan, with this insurance plan. You heard it. You heard everything I just read. This was direct. These were direct quotes from his text messages, all entered into the record, to her, her text messages to him, and the direct comments made by some of the individuals involved. Simply staggering. Uh, BJ's in North Olmstead. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, BJ. Go ahead. Thank you, Bob. <clears throat> Last Sunday, I dropped off uh, something I wrote a while back. It's called the Big Ten Progressive Party. I hope you received it. I don't know if you did. If you I don't did think not, so. I, I, have like... not, I have not, I have not uh, seen that yet. Uh, we'll have to check on that. Yeah, they told me they would text it to you. Okay. But it's called, uh, if, I, if I could have 30 seconds of the time to go through... Uh, we are for government control of all levels of family, business, religion, and liberty. We're for higher taxation of personal income tax, properties, and estates. We're for big government in all areas of your life. We're for government union control of private lives. We're for open borders and amnesty for all illegals. We're for redistribution of working family income to non-workers' pockets. We're for rewriting history and lying about our past. We're, for, we're against we're anti-Christian and anti-moral culture. We're for racial incitement by liberal white people against conservatives. We're control of what you eat, what you breathe, what you drive, where you live, how you dress, where you travel, what you listen to, and what you read. We're control of your family. We want to control your faith and your life. We want to control your health, your death, and your privacy. If you believe in these above things, join the progressive, liberal, socialist, communist party, formerly known as the Democratic Party. And that's really what we're dealing with, Bob. We're dealing with a bunch of communists that hate this country and... You are not going to be able to convince them through conversation or through talking. We are in a civil war, unarmed, but even with Antifa, they're armed and shooting people. So we have to become very, very aware of the reality of the time we're in. And when you're meeting with your colleagues at this meeting coming up, 
the truth is, how willing are those of us that stand up for the Constitution, if we're willing to fight in other countries for their freedom, are we willing to do that here? I think that's going to be the shameful, important issue we're going to have to face. As optimistic as I am, that's part of the reality of life, and I thank you for your time, Bob. You got it, BJ. I appreciate the phone call. I'll, uh, I'll follow up with that as you described all of those principles of socialism and communism as a part of the modern Democrat Party. Um, and, and, and give you this. <laughs> this was just in the Washington Times, uh, a few short years ago. And it was still in my mindset, or in my mind, I should say, and a part of my mindset as I look at what is the, the modern Democratic Party is doing, because I reposted this to Facebook yesterday. This is from uh, uh, 2015, so it's about four years ago. John Bachtel, uh, chairman of the National Committee of the Communist Party USA, said in a lengthy essay for People's World publication that America needed a third political party committed to uphold labor. But until that time comes, communists must work together with Democrats in coming elections. Communists know who their allies are. Communists know who shares their same goals. They know that the Democrat Party is and would be willing to work with them. Labor has already found a home with the Democrat Party, Bechtel wrote in People's World, and the Communist Party would be hard-pressed to draw this voting bloc away at this time. So the logical course would then to be, uh, would be to assist Democrats now with an eye on the long term. It's true, both parties are dominated by Wall Street interests, but the Democrat Party, also home to labor, African Americans, Latinos, and other communities of color, women, and most union members, young people in a wide range of social and democratic movements, and labor and other key social forces, are not about to leave the Democratic Party anytime soon. That means we must work with them because they share our same interests. He also made clear the communist goal wasn't to build the Democrat Party, but rather the broad people's movement led by labor that utilizes the vehicle of the Democratic Party to advance its agenda. And the way to do that was to grab the support of those people that can't help shape election contours and debates, uh, that can rather help shape election contours and debates and building movements in the electoral arena. So the Democrats have been partnering with, essentially, whether it's intentionally or just being used by the Communist Party of the USA, in the USA, um, for years. And, and is there any doubt that what you just heard described is working? This was 2015, right? This was 2015, and here we are today, four years after that. How can anyone possibly suggest that they haven't been successful? You have a cesspool of candidates coming in uh, to this 20 election, 2020 election cycle, all Democrats who are all promising some variation of the communist model that I just talked about in all of their campaign platforms. Medicare for all. Single-payer, government-run health health insurance, which means government-controlled decisions about what kind of care you can have and what you can't have, and whether you live or whether you die. Collectivism at its finest. Taking more uh, of the people's profits, taking more of the corporate profits, and doling them out as the government sees fit. Limiting where you can live. Limiting what you can eat, 
Limiting how far you can travel for work. Limiting how you can do that travel. Promising the elimination of the combustion engines. I mean, everything that we have seen being promised by the American left today reeks of this Democrat or this uh, communist uh, um, uh, marriage to the Democrats that, that was listed there four years ago. And this has been going on a lot longer than four years, of course. But this particular article, just I, I find it very, very interesting. As you just heard uh, BJ talking about communist principles in the Democrat Party, et cetera, et cetera, they're one and the same. This was an intended plan to collaborate and coordinate with Democrats by the communists in 2015, and they are living it out. By the way, speaking of Medicare for All, did you notice what happened to Bernie Sanders? And I, and I say this with no joy. I'm not, I'm not celebrating anybody's illnesses. I just want to make a point here. Bernie Sanders went in for a heart surgery uh, over the last day and a half, two days. I guess it was Tuesday, right? We got this reported yesterday, so I think it must have been on Tuesday. Anyway, he had a blocked artery and had a couple of stents put in. And did anybody else notice where he went for that surgery? He didn't go to Cuba or Venezuela or even up to Canada. These are nation states with with one single-payer government-controlled health system for all. The one that he wants to bring to the United States. He got his heart procedure done with his own private insurance and his own private uh, not private physicians, but his own choice of physicians. He took care of this in the American free market insurance and health care system. And he got care immediately. Why didn't he just go up to Canada if he was looking for the best care? Because that's what he wants to saddle you with, Medicare for all. And the reason why is if he had... If he had made a phone call up to Canada and said, I want to take advantage of your wonderful single-payer health care system up there to show everybody how great it is, when can I get my heart uh, 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 arteries unclogged? When can I get stents put in? He'd find out um, probably October 25th of 2022 because that's how these things work in these socialist models or communist models. He got care immediately because he was able to afford it and his health insurance paid for it here in the United States. He didn't use government-run health care, but he wants to saddle you with government-run health care, doesn't he? Just uh, chew on that a little bit. Last segment coming up right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Bob France, here on AM 1420, The Answer. the show in two ways. Number one, I want to remind you of the event going on in about a half an hour. If you are in the Cleveland area and you have the time and the inclination and the ability to stop out and support this event that is being held by Tom Zawistowski and the Portage County Tea Party and the We the People Convention, uh, do it. It's outside the FBI office at 1130 to 1.30, demanding equal justice under the law, a protest, a protest, not blocking traffic the way the idiot liberals do. 
but on the sidewalk in front of the FBI office, 1501 Lakeside Avenue East in Cleveland, to demand that the FBI and the DOJ ensure enforce the uh, law equally to defend the president from this deep state coup d'etat and uh, to encourage the Attorney General Bill Barr to investigate and prosecute and encourage other citizens to protest nationally. Bring your signs. Bring your flags. Let's draw some attention to what the American people want. So that's one thing that's going on today. The other thing I want to do very quickly, if I can, is shine a spotlight on one of the most glorious moments that I've seen in a long time. If you're looking for some hope, if you're looking for some uh, some uh, something that's uplifting in this very dangerous and trying and divisive time, did you see what happened yesterday in a Dallas courtroom when Brant Jean, the brother of Botham Jean, who was the uh, murder victim of uh, Amber Geiger, the police officer who went into the wrong apartment, thought that she was in her apartment and saw somebody there and thought it was an intruder and shot and killed him. She was sentenced to 10 years in prison this week. It's been a very, very closely covered national story. The brother, Botham Jean, and I guess I won't have time to play this because it's already uh, in the last minute of the broadcast, but the brother of uh, Botham Jean, Brant Jean, 18 years old, giving a witness impact statement, took a very divergent path from his family, told Amber Geiger that he forgave her, told her that he loves her, told her that she should give her life over to Christ, and then offered to give her a hug of support. The judge, in a very highly unusual circumstance, allowed him to approach the defendant who had just been convicted of the murder and gave her a long, heartwarming hug as she cried in his arms. The judge then also hugged the defendant because there is tragedy on all sides of that terrible event. But that young man, Brant Jean, is a role model for everyone. He's 18 years old. God bless him and thank him for lifting us up. Mike Gallagher's next on AM 1420. The answer we'll see you tomorrow. Bye bye. Enjoy the silence. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.